Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And boy, are we going to do that in our episode today. We are going to discern the counterfeit today as we talk about Side B Christianity with our friend Rosaria Butterfield. You guys, this episode is so important, so amazing. I actually changed my podcast schedule to put this one out this week because we just had this conversation and I need you to hear it. I need you to hear it right now. So I'm going to get into the highlights of that in just a moment, but I want to let you know about another issue that I think is super important for the church to be aware of right now, and that is this new curriculum called After Party. So my friend Natasha Crane and I did an episode this week on the Unshaken Faith podcast about that After Party curriculum, which is put on by Russell Moore, David French and uh, some others that I know a lot of people have been a little bit confused about lately. So I'm really hoping that this podcast will equip you. It's short. It's about 20 minutes. It will bring you up to speed with everything going on with that after-party curriculum. But today with Rosaria, this episode, guys, this is such an important episode on so many levels. We talked about transgenderism and the sin struggle that lies underneath that, and that being the sin of envy. That's one of the things that Rosaria has called out, which is uh, something I had not connected for myself, but it was just incredibly clarifying as she talked about that. We spent quite a bit of time talking about Side B Christianity, which we define in the podcast, um, talking about some of the proponents of Side B Christianity. I even followed in Rosaria's lead where she began her recent book, uh, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, with repentance for—in um, her case, it was using things like pronoun— uh, hospitality is what it was called in her previous book. She said, I repent. I That was wrong. That was sinful. So I followed in her example, and because something had occurred to me while we were talking where I had inadvertently affirmed side B Christianity. I didn't realize I was doing that back in 2017 when I was on the Bad Christian Podcast. And so I actually talked about that and publicly repented of that. So if any of you had heard that episode from the Bad Christian Podcast, I really want you to hear uh, what I have to say today because I don't want to accidentally deceive somebody, okay? Because I think this is one of the most important topics that's hitting the church today. So I will I will stop yammering on and take you right into our conversation with Rosaria Butterfield. Well, Rosaria, always great to have you on the show. Uh, your book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, was one of my top picks for last year. In fact, we did an end-of-the-year live stream where I gave away my top five books of the year, and yours was one of those books that I gave away. So thank you so much for writing it and for coming back on the show. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here always. Well, I love the the lies that you chose to interact with in your book because they're just, you know, they're not controversial at all. Oh, no. It's just super no, no. easy, no, breezy. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. No, nobody gets their panties all wadded up over them at all. Not at all. <laughs> this is just... Everybody is cool with all this stuff. This is so right. great. I really, really, really loved this book. Um, and I loved it for a lot of reasons. I loved it because it was so biblical. You're, you were just continually appealing to Scripture to inform what we think. And that's going to step on people's toes, of course. I mean, I found my toes even stepped on a couple times. I'm like, oh, but you know what? That's what the Bible says. She's right. Um, one of the greatest responses I saw to this book was in one of our groups. I think I even sent this to you. I texted this to you where uh, a girl who had been in into feminism in the past and has come out of it, she she said, this book just challenged me. It My flesh hated it, but my spirit loved it. And I thought that was such good high praise for this book. So what, what made you write this book now? Uh, you've, of course, written about 
your testimony of coming out of a lesbian relationship. You were a tenured professor at Syracuse University teaching things like queer theory and all that <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, you really lived that life and you've written about that. So why this book now? Yes, that's a great question. In fact, I was really hoping that uh, Gospel Comes with a House Key would be my last book. You know, mm -hmm. I could kind of go out somewhat, you know, not too terribly controversial. But the reality is um, a number of moms and grandmas would stop me at Costco or come to my house or come to my church or, you know, drop a note at my website and say, look, how did I become a bigot? What happened to this world? My pastor says we need to major on the majors, but we don't agree on what those majors are. Why do my children, why are my children uh, blackmailing me on grounds of LGBTQ plus stuff? And why do so many evangelicals just say, well, it's just vocabulary, don't sweat it, we can agree to disagree. Basically, if Christ isn't divided, why are Christians? And mm. Um, it's a wonderful faith and reason question. And I had so many people asking me it that I sat down and I came up with three reasons. And the reasons are as follows. We have failed to see that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. No Adam, no gospel. Mm -hmm. We have just completely failed to know what time it is. And I hear this constantly. Um, people confusing uh, examples of, of cross-dressing and ancient you know, history with the transgenderism of today. Well, the transgenderism of today is codified by law. Mm. You need to know what time it is. We're post-Obergefell, post-Bostock, and um, this is not a matter of vocabulary. It's, it's, it's a matter of idolatry. And then the third reason is we've just, it's a failure of love. We've failed to love our enemies, and instead we want to pretend our enemies are our friends. And as I pondered those three things, I realized that the the church now believes five lies that the world always has. Uh, the first lie is that homosexuality is normal. The second is uh, that pagan spirituality is good and in some ways accommodating to uh, the gospel. The third is that feminism is good for the church and the world. The fourth is that transgenderism is a normal gender variant. And the fifth is that modesty is an outdated uh, expectation for women and it's dangerous and it leads to an abuse culture. And then I realized the worst of all things, I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. Then I realized my fingerprints are on all of these lies. Mm. Uh, and I don't mean just because I had used to be, uh, you know, a lesbian feminist activist professor. I believed a softer version of all of them as a believer, and more than, you know, believe them, I said things, uh, you know, maybe I stopped believing them in 2014 or something, but if it's written in a book and the book sells 100,000 copies, you know, I had to make good on this. So in some ways, this book really is my repentance, mm. um, not because I'm, you know, trying to grovel, although I'm happy to grovel before the Lord, that seems like a, the best posture ever. But because I think Aiken is in the camp, I think part of why God isn't blessing the church right now is that instead of repenting of our sin, we're just covering it up and God's not blessing that. So, mm. so the book is a lot of worldview, a lot of scripture, but a lot of my repentance, hoping to model that for other um, 
evangelicals and public figures who have, you know, walked a similar path that I have. Mm. Because we want God's blessing. We're not here yeah. to create a, you know, I don't know what. So yeah. anyway, that's it in a nutshell. Well, if, you know, I hope that you know what an amazing example that repentance is, because I truly hope that if there ever comes to my knowledge something that I need to repent of publicly that I have said in the past, I really appreciate you setting that example and saying, okay, like if, if Rosaria can, could have been wrong about something, I was just uh, been studying Leviticus and, and it just, it really was jumping out at me how many times they had to make atonement for sins that were unintentional. They didn't realize at the time. And, and that is huge. And so I, I really want to draw attention to that because your whole book begins with you repenting for what you call pronoun hospitality. And what's so interesting about this, Rosaria, is I read your first book, um, Confessions of Help Me, Oh, unlike uh, the uh, unlikely convert, unlikely right? Convert. Which is a wonderful book, and I still recommend it. It's just it's it's such a uh, it, so many ways was so helpful to help me understand this topic so much better. But I remember reading that book and you referring to a male at, with a she pronoun, and I remember thinking, oh, well, maybe maybe that's okay then if if it's to to minister, if if it's to bring the gospel, and so you actually coming out and saying, no, I repent of that that's wrong, that helps people like me go, oh, okay, yeah, I, that, that's wrong. And so right. I really appreciate that. Right. And, and I think that's, right. that's really helpful. Good. Well, I don't know any other way for a public figure to actually do mark and avoid on your own work mm. unless you repent of it. Because if, if you just simply learn, you know, you fall forward, you just kind of, the bad practice just kind of drops out of your vocabulary, it does lead people with a sense of, well, Maybe it's okay. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I wanted to make clear about all the sins I'm repenting of is not only are they sins, they're a violation of God's law, they are unholy, they are unbiblical, but time has proven how dangerous they are to the very people we're trying to minister to. Mm -hmm. So if you want to minister to somebody with gender anxiety, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is start pretending that you agree with their social transitions because mm -hmm. right now you know big pharma is moving them very quickly between social transition which is um you know pronoun usage to hormonal transition to the knife mm. so it's a terrible idea it is a sin but it's a terrible idea it is the opposite i don't know why um i have been so um, just, just not able to convince people that you really can repent of sin and still, you know, actually you're blessed. Um, things go better for yeah. you. You know, your yeah. conscience is clean. People read their, you know, people can read your, your old books and they know what to mark and avoid and all that. The only thing I can think of is that these big parachurch ministries have just so much money involved mm. in basically the bad merch that they just, can't be Christian. It's a lot to come and, back from. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. uh, I don't work for those folks, so <laughs> I don't mind naming names and, uh, yeah. calling it as I see it. Yeah, I, I, I'm always nervous joining bigger things that I always tell people, I'm not a joiner. I'm not going to do your thing. Like whatever your thing is, like I, I might, you know, I might come alongside you for one thing, but I'm not going to join your thing. I'm not a joiner. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's easier to yeah. keep it, um, 
you know, you can be more accountable to to the Lord, to Scripture, to your immediate circle, and then you don't have all those irons in the fire of, you know, really, if you cross a line somewhere, then it becomes damage control rather than real repentance. I think it can be easy to slip into right. that. So, right. Well, let, let's talk about this lie number one, because I think this is maybe of all the lies, maybe, I don't know, they're all pretty pretty important right now. But this one especially, I think, is so confusing for many people in the church, especially with side B Christianity, which we've talked about on the podcast several times. And we're going to be talking about it more with our friend Christopher Yuan. He's going to be coming on to talk about a conference now that's being put on by Preston Sprinkle and some others where there's openly progressive, affirming, anti-Christian progressives that are speaking at that um, event. So I'm a little worked up about that one. We're going to be talking about that with Christopher. But, you know, of course, side B Christianity being that they would say with their words that they affirm what Scripture says about biblical marriage. They would say that um, homosexual marriage is sinful, but the identity is real and it is actually a core identifying factor. So they will call themselves things like gay Christian. So for anybody's unfamiliar with side B, but I think that's where so much of this confusion with lie number one, which is homosexuality is normal, is coming from. And so I'd yeah. love for you to talk a little bit about where you see the church falling yeah. for this one. Taking a break for just a quick second to talk to you about Seven Weeks Coffee. This is my absolute favorite coffee company, not only because it's the best coffee that I've ever had. It is shade-grown, pesticide-free, direct trade, ethically sourced. It tastes so good, you guys. I absolutely love it. But not only that, it's run by Christians, and the whole reason that Seven Weeks Coffee exists is to fund pro-life causes. That's what I love. I love that when I drink my coffee in the morning, I know that a portion of the proceeds of the coffee that I bought is going to pro-life resource pregnancy centers, hundreds of them all over the country. In fact, to date, Seven Weeks Coffee has given $300,000 to pro-life causes across the country. So if you want to support the pro-life cause and have an excellent cup of coffee. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use my code ELISA for a discount. That's sevenweekscoffee.com. Use my code ELISA for a discount. Well, the first way, there are a number of ways that we fall for this idea that homosexuality is normal. The first is in a false anti-biblical anthropology. And that's where we look at um, Genesis 127 and we say, well, okay, everybody's made in the image of God. Great. You know, my sister Julie must be made in the image of God as a lesbian. No, you know, <laughs> read it more, clo more closely. Made in the image of God as a man or as a woman for the purpose of procreation. So yeah. God creates a pattern for a purpose. He's not some kind of mad engineer who like builds a bridge and dives into a lake. You know, there's a purpose for it. And so, so there is no way that you can be made in the image of God as a lesbian. There's no way because uh, homosexuality is a sin and it comes from the world, the flesh and the devil. And image bearing is a grace and it reflects God in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. And so the first is this mistake that, that um, what makes you an image bearer is somehow your deeply held feelings. So that's one error uh, that, that leads into the normalization of homosexuality. The other is the um, idea 
uh, that um, homosexuality is a fallenness. It's a disorder, a little bit like blindness or deafness, um, that it's a kind of morally neutral disorder, but there's nothing immoral about it ontologically inherently. And what that is a confusion of is what it means to be made, uh, not only in the image of God, but then what it means to have Adam's sin imputed onto us. So the fall didn't just make the world fallen, it made me corrupt to the point that my corruption isn't just outside, it's inside. And what we call that is sin. And so side B gay Christianity has said, well, no, 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 no. It's not a sin if you didn't choose it. And it's not a sin if you're not physically acting on it. But that makes no sense because in order to actually pull that off, you have to throw away uh, the, the, the 10th commandment, Exodus uh, twenty seventeen. I mean, that says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, not thou shalt not take thy neighbor's wife. Mm-hmm. So coveting is about uh, a desire that's not acted upon. And that's called a sin there. And then in Romans 7, you have, I think, some of the more, you know, probably the most majestic words in the Bible, understanding indwelling sin, where Paul says, why do I do mm-hmm. what I don't want to do? It is not I, it is sin in me. So there Paul is saying, it's sin, it's in me, and I didn't choose it. Mm. And the way that side B gets around this is they say, well... In that case, in that case, um, homosexuality, same-sex attraction is a temptation. It's not a sin. And what you need to do is flee temptation and mortify sin. But don't help people who, quote unquote, experience same-sex attraction. Just that language actually is sinful, mm. by the way. And I, we'll get to that. But, but okay. you know, don't tell people who, quote unquote, experience same-sex attraction that that they need to repent, that's going to discourage them. They need to flee. But if indwelling sin is a sin that's inside you, where do I flee? You know, John Owen will use the example of sin almost being like a thief. And so one of the ways we understand that, you know, a thief is he's outside of my house and I need to lock the door before he gets inside my house. Okay, that's one way of understanding sin. But what if the thief is right back there in the closet hiding for me to get home? See, that's what same-sex attraction is. It's the thief that's already in my heart. So telling people to flee is nonsense. Where am I supposed to flee? Where am I supposed to go? If it's in me, mm. how do I, what do I do? I flee where? What, what does that mean? And all of this is a misunderstanding. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or if it's a misreading or if it's just it's just the kind of the kind of nauseating sloganizing that big evil loves to do. Mm. But um, you know, James one talks about the life cycle of sin, um, temptation, lust, death. Those are not temptation is not not a sin. There are two kinds of temptations that human beings have to deal with. Jesus only had to deal with one external because he was born without sin. We are born 
imputed with the sin of Adam into us. So, so we can deal with an external sin that would be like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, and that's an ex- that's a very external temptation. Mm-hmm. You know, Joseph handled that really well. And likewise, you too can handle things like that well. But if, if the temptation is inside us, I mean, basically, before we get up in the morning, you're already praying that you will have victory over this particular internal issue. That is sin in its embryonic form. Mm. And one of my concerns, I have actually, I, I list in my book, six ways that side B gay Christianity is heresy. But one concern I really do have, having spent a lot of time this year talking to young people, going to youth conferences and those kinds of things, um, is this. We've taken a whole generation of people, and instead of telling them to fight their sin when they were most likely to beat it, that is when it's small, we've said, oh, no, no, it's not really a sin. It's just a temptation. You know, don't don't worry about it. Just Mm -hmm. please. And then it becomes this enormous thing that involves other people. And it, it's so much harder to deal with sin at that level. So I think we've set up a whole generation of Christians to not know how to mortify their sin and to not mm. live in the victory of Christ. And so, so side B, gay Christianity is a heresy. And it's, I'm not kidding. Like people yeah. say that, oh, Rosaria, you can't say that word. Well, it's a great word. It's a church history it, word. Absolutely. I don't mind sticking my neck out, even if I didn't have you know, the, the proof in my pocket. But it is known heresy. It is yeah. semi-Pelagianism, denying the fall and the imputation of Adam in its full total mm. depravity mm. sense. It is neo-orthodoxy claiming that Christ came to call the righteous and that you are righteous in your homosexuality, which is garbage, Um, you know, and it denies the doctrine of concupiscence. And that is uh, an an older Latin word. It's uh, found in the King James. You'll find it in Romans 7. And it's, um, it's a particular word that helps people understand that a temptation for something that is sin, I am internally, I've got a little battery inside me, and I am internally tempted to desire something that God calls sin that is sin. That doesn't just lead to sin. It is. It is sin. It is small. I understand. It is way better than having an adulterous affair with the woman Mm -hmm. across the street. But it is sin in a moral sense. Mm-hmm. And um, and all of those things, you know, any kind of Christian that denies repentance is denying life, mm-hmm. right? You know, repent is the first word of the gospel. Jesus says, repent and believe. So if you have created a ministry, as, as Preston Sprinkle has, and anyone else who kind of has that side B brand, that denies people repentance because of a false understanding of compassion, uh, that's heresy. Mm. You know, and that's yeah. when people are like, oh, are you calling him a heretic? Well, let me hear. <laughs> I'm sorry we have to unpack this for you. But yes, if you, in fact, are committing heresy, you're a heretic. I didn't say he's a reprobate. He's not dead yet. He can repent. He can repent and turn. And teach the right things. 
you know, we are Christians. We don't throw people away. We started this conversation with all the dumb, stupid, sinful things I've said. Mm. So we leave room for our, our brothers and sisters to repent. But if somebody has spent 10 years professing a heresy, what's the difference? You know, is that a brother or is that a wolf? I hope you're getting so much out of this conversation with Rosaria. I know that I did. Want to pop in here for just a moment and let you know about Good Ranchers. This is my favorite meat company. This is American meat delivered right to your door. You know, Rosaria talks a lot about hospitality. And one of the ways that I have gotten better in this area, because it's not my natural gift, hospitality, but I've gotten a lot better with it because of being a customer of Good Ranchers. I've got right now grass-fed beef, I've got organic, better than organic chicken, trimmed, beautiful, heritage breed pork, wild-caught seafood. I have that ready to go in the freezer, and I can't tell you how many times I've been able to just invite people over for dinner and not have to stress about what I'm gonna make because it's already sitting there in my freezer. Many, many times I have done this. So that has really helped me to be a better and more hospitable Christian, believe it or not. So if you want to try Good Ranchers, this amazing American grown and harvested meat, grass-fed beef, pasture-raised, no hormones, no antibiotics, really high quality. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Now, this is a great month to subscribe because you're going to get free chicken for a year. So if you subscribe this month in the month of February, you're going to get in every box for a year free chicken breasts. And they are so good, you guys. I just absolutely love it. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ELISA for that free chicken for a year, which, by the way, is exclusive to our listeners. That's a deal they ran before. But they emailed me and said, we're going to extend this deal just for your listeners. So this is the code where you'll get that free chicken for a year. That's the code ELISA, plus you'll get a discount off your first box. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ELISA. That's GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ELISA. And it's a hard heresy for a lot of Christians, I think, to see because mm-hmm. what they're looking for is, oh, he affirms biblical marriage or, you know, side B affirms oh. biblical marriage. So that's okay. Then everything else doesn't really matter. But I think they're failing to see what you've just so beautifully articulated. And I love where you're talking about this whole generation that really hasn't been taught to mortify their sin. And I think we see that reflected in the exponentially um, accelerated rates of even, quote unquote, Christian couples living together before marriage, kind of seeing sex is no big deal. Uh, God will forgive me. You know, I, I want to swing back, though, uh, Rosaria, because you said the language of experiencing same-sex attraction is sinful. And I was thinking about that as you were talking, because I'm pretty sure I've said that. I'm sure I have. Oh, me too. Oh, I have too. Yeah. I'm sure I've said that. But then I started to think, well, that's not an identity, but what if I put any other sin in that sentence? I'm a Christian who experiences um, eating disorder attraction. I would never say that of myself. Why would I say that of myself? Um, Somebody else might say, I'm a Christian who experiences pornography attraction. Why on earth— would you point right. out a sin, highlight it like that, right. and and kind of, right. even though I, I get you're trying to not make it your identity, I, I right. get why you say it's it's sinful language. Right, right, yeah. Let me, let me kind of unpack that a little bit. So you're absolutely right. It is anthropology language. It is a way of saying this is who I am, not how I am. But let me, let me read to you a paragraph. Okay, I'm just going to read to you a paragraph of a book that claims to support biblical marriage. 
All right, now I'm a writing teacher, so I have to confess, I have used this paragraph as an example to my students of how not to write a paragraph. But nonetheless, let's just, just amuse me. Same-sex sexual relationships are always prohibited. Okay, do you and I agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Check. Same-sex sexual relationships are mentioned in at least five places in scripture, and in each case, they are prohibited. Okay. Check. Before I tease this out, I want to make two observations. First, each of these five passages is in a context where lots of other sins are listed, sins that are frequently committed by straight people. Okay, straight people? What's that mean? Okay, well, that's an anthropology statement. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, that's not what Christians would say. All right, but let's keep reading. Incest, adultery, sex outside of marriage, you name it. Greed, envy, murder, deceit, malice, gossip. They're right there in Romans 1. So are arrogance, slander, and being disobedient to your parents. The point of these passages is not to highlight the sins of gay people, but to underscore the sins of all people. Straight Christians should never wave these texts around as proof that gay people need to repent. Mm. Now, wow. you know what would happen if I just happened to take this author and say, hey, this guy's a heretic. Um, you know, he denies Christians. He does denies people the opportunity to repent of their sin and live in victory. He might write a blog piece that says, I don't know what's wrong with Rosaria. I say same-sex sexual relationships are mentioned at least five places in scripture, and in each case they are prohibited. Right. But your clincher sentence allows no hope for anyone to live that out. If you mm -hmm. deny people the opportunity to repent of sin, you are committing them to a hopeless existence where they cannot have victory over it. And, and dare I say, by not repenting of sin, you are encouraging them to go to hell. Mm. This is from a book called Does the Bible Support Same-Sex Marriage by Preston Sprinkle. Now, the the... The, um, the quote in context there is Romans 1, and he says, straight Christians should never wave these texts around as proof that gay people need to repent. So there are, he's using obviously anthropology categories, yeah. but you might think he's quoting Matthew Vine, mm. because earlier Matthew Vine's in God and the Gay Christian, oddly enough, has determined that, quote, Romans 1 is not of central importance to Paul's message in the book of Romans. Wow. So again, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than, mm -hmm. well, this one time I had a topic sentence that was really good. Well, if you're writing a paragraph and your topic sentence and your clincher sentence contradict each other, mm. What is, you know, yeah. that's, that's, you know, not. Well, and there's a, there's a little bit of a bait and switch just kind of inserted there toward the second he starts separating people into groups of gay Christian and straight Christian. Those categories don't exist. That's, that's, well, you know. Exactly. They absolutely don't exist. There's no such thing as a gay person or a, in, insofar as it's not an anthropological category. You can't, you're not an. I'm an image bearer of a holy God because I'm 
born a, a woman made in the image of God. And when I lived as a lesbian, that was as true as it as it as it as anything else was. Um, living as a lesbian isn't an image bearing category. It's not a personhood category. It's a sin category. But I think what's important to see there is it works from a very um, you know just a very woke idea that um, if you are a person who has greater power, right, mm-hmm. you can't call other people to repent of sin. And if you call people to repent of sin, you're doing damage to them, which indeed just the opposite is true scripturally. So other than Satan, I really don't know anybody who doesn't want you to repent of sin. I, I just don't. It's a yeah. repentance is a is, you know, it's it's a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the spirit of God. It's the only proof I'm a Christian that I, I really have. Because only a Christian can repent. Um, it's it's a gift. It's a grace. Yeah. It, it, it's not a works. So um, so I I just I, I'm tired of the wolves. You know, I, the, both yeah. the she wolves and the he wolves. Yeah. And, um, I don't. You know, I don't. The I don't have a job to lose. Uh, so I think if you know if if you sound like a wolf and you've been sounding like a wolf for ten years and people have called you out. And all you do is go belly up and act like a victim and say, I'm showing compassion. No, sending people to hell is not compassionate. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's part yeah. of why this whole business about going to a gay wedding. I mean, I, I almost can't believe we're talking about this in 2024. Yeah. I, you know, I, but, but here we are. And it's partly because we haven't dealt rightly with the wolves. Mm. And so I've written this book for moms and grandmas who don't want to write book reports on stupid books. They just want to know what to think so that mm-hmm. they can love their children well. They want to stay connected to their prodigal children without becoming indoctrinated. Yeah. And the way to do that is to throw the garbage in the garbage. Mm-hmm. And the books that Preston Sprinkle writes are garbage. You can throw them in the garbage. There are much better books to read. Go on and read them. Tell us how you really feel, Rosario. <laughs> I will. I will. I no, will. That's, and you know, I am that's what I love about you. Chamomile tea right now. So <laughs> get that blood pressure down. But I do, you know, I want to highlight the confusion of this because some people might be listening and saying, oh, this is just semantics. You're quibbling over language. But let me give you an example of why this isn't quibbling over language. This is very confusing and causes absolute confusion in real lives. Rosaria, I don't know if you remember, I don't know, maybe it was a year or two ago, there was this quote-unquote Asbury revival. And there was a lot of people commenting about it. I happened to be a mile away from there while it was going on. So I decided to get in my car and I went into the chapel. It was a Sunday morning. Now, most people had gone out to go to other churches. I understand I wasn't in there for an actual meeting. Um, And so I I gave some commentary on it. But one of the things that was being said was that there were gay Christians leading worship. And so there were these Twitter accounts from from people who had pronouns in their uh, bios a gay Christian, look, there are queer kids leading worship at this Asbury revival. Well, then you hear from everybody else, well, no, we have this stance, we have this position on biblical sexuality. So I pulled up the statement and it was pretty good, right? Most Christians would have read the statement and go, this is good. This says all the right things we want to say, but it did not address identity. 
And so what what was really happening is side B, um, I ended up on the Unbelievable podcast with uh, um, Gavin Ortland and then the president of Asbury. I believe it, it was the seminary, I think. And I read that statement and I said, doesn't this statement allow for somebody to say, I am a gay Christian, but I right. don't, you know, quote unquote, practice homosexuality. And it was really hard to get an answer because, but but I think that's because either people are so naive to what side B is doing to the church, or they just are they willfully ignoring it. I don't know because because yeah. this is what was going on. All right, let's talk about Carly Jean Los Angeles. Again, I love products that solve problems. I am so busy. I don't have time to go to the mall, try on a bunch of things, only to be disappointed and coming home with absolutely nothing that works. So what I love about Carly Jean Los Angeles, first of all, is that it's a Christian company. It's run by Carly Jean Brandon. She's a mom of four. She is also pro-life. She gives money to a pro-life pregnancy resource center right there locally where she lives. And I love that the clothes are all very simple and they work together. This top I'm wearing today is just a simple long sleeve tee, but it fits perfectly. And here's what I also love. I used to stress out so much when I would go to speak at different conferences and different churches. I would stress out about what am I going to wear? And Carly Jean has solved that problem for me. I have a lot of really basic and simple pieces that work really well for the camera, but they also work well when I speak. They're modest, and yet they're really cute. And they are designed for women who are in my phase of life. We're not teenagers anymore. And I absolutely love these clothes. So give it a try. Go to Carly Jean Los Angeles angeles.com and use my code Alisa for a discount. That's carlyjeanlosangeles.com. Use my code Alisa for a discount. Yeah, yeah. Or they've written books and they have too many bad footnotes in them and they don't quite know how to dig themselves mm. out of the hole. I'd say another good example is this. Um, if it's just vocabulary, people don't lose jobs over vocabulary. Mm. So if it's vocabulary, you know, like you use pronouns, I don't use pronouns, then you're not having somebody like Peter Vlaming, who did just win his case back. But in 2018, he lost his job about pronouns. So if it's vocabulary, there's room to disagree. Vocabulary is like a synonym finder. I might use a stronger adjective than you would, but there's room to disagree. But if it's ideology, then, uh, then it's not. And the reason why Romans 1 is so important is one of the things we see in today's world is that there are three exchanges in Romans 1, the exchange of truth for lies, of heterosexuality for homosexuality, and of the worship of the creature, of the creator for the worship of the creature. And all yeah. of those exchanges have been codified into law. So the, um, the, the, um, a Bergefell decision of 2015 legalized gay marriage in all 50 states, but also included the Dignitary Harm Clause, which redefined legal harm from a material thing, like I'm a lesbian, I want to buy a pizza, you're not selling one to me because you mm -hmm. hate me, I want my pizza, to um, quote unquote LGBTQ plus dignity. And so dignity means affirming my self-understanding. And, and a friend of mine, Andrew Branch, who comes to um, school board meetings with, I, he, he, with me, he pointed out something really important recently to the school board. He said, you know, if a 
Muslim student you know, comes, is, is new to the first grade, people say welcome. They don't say Allah is God and God is Allah. But if a uh, student, you know, wrapped in a rainbow flag comes in the room with, you know, uh, you know, I'm a trans child, the expectation is that you will affirm. That's part of the Bostock decision, which changed Title IX mm. to add LGBTQ plus to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So with all of that going on, Christians need to know what time it is. Yeah. And that includes people who are who are. Um, claiming that they're going to help you stay connected to your child. You know, mm -hmm. part of what Side B Gay Christianity has done is it's rebranded. It's mm. given up on strugglers because they're not struggling anymore. They're, they're embracing their gay identity and they're happy to do it. And now the target is to manipulate Christian parents mm. and tell them things like, you need to build a bridge you need to um, you need to um, affirm uh, your child. Um, you need to go to a gay wedding. You need to show them that you love them, as though affirming sin is how you love people. You know what? Yeah. We're grownups. There's a difference between acceptance and approval, and mm -hmm. there's no parent who hasn't figured that one out. Right. So uh, so at any rate, so that's. Those are some of the problems. But yeah, it's really, it's kind of a sneaky little raid into your logic, you know, ability to think clearly. Yeah. In fact, you know, obviously, Alistair Begg has been in the spotlight this past week or two for some comments he made about uh, advice he gave to a grandmother about attending her uh, grandchild's LGBT uh, wedding. I, can't, I don't know the exact details of it. But, you know, and everybody's been going back and forth. Do we cancel him? Do we not? Um, you know, just, you know, leaving myself out of that particular discussion, what really bothered me was the reasoning. And I think what right. maybe we're seeing is maybe even the unintentional influence of side B, because oh, yeah. I, remem I remember the the statement that, um, and by the way, everybody, I, I, this is painful because I love Alistair Begg and I have loved his Bible teaching for years and I'm not, you know, I'm not personally wanting to cancel him. I think he's in grave error with what he has said. I know, Mirzari, you might disagree with me, but, um, you know, no, I just, I, I just disagree with him very strongly. Um, but it was the reasoning that was more bothersome to me than even what he said, because he said, you know, not going is, is, it says here, I, I pulled it up. Um, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to count countenance anything. But put any sin in the in the place of that. Your, you know, love for them may catch them off guard, but your refusal to affirm them moving in together before marriage will affirm what they always thought, that these people are judgmental. I mean, that reasoning yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah. why is and, it know, this one sin? As somebody who is deep in a lesbian relationship as an adult, you know, we were not kids. We were both professors. We didn't have children, but we had houses and dogs. And, you know, it's not like we had a spider plant and a, you know, and a patio, piece of patio furniture. And <laughs> yeah. that was really, really painful. And then I had written yeah. the domestic partnership policy for the university, and we had to figure out the logistics of getting her off my policy. But she didn't, you know, I mean, it was miserable. And there is simply no way that um, solemnizing and, you know, solidifying a sin makes it easier to get out of that sin. Like, it, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it's the deeper you go, the harder it is. 
and um, and but you you heard you heard echoes of Andy Stanley and mm -hmm. Preston Sprinkle. You heard echoes of the Andy Stanley um, Unconditional Conference, and you hear echoes of Preston Sprinkle's, um, you know, whatever the center of faith and sexuality, you know, the last two, Christopher Yuan sent me these, I know he sent them to you too, mm -hmm. the last, I just can't stomach, you know, following it, but the last two are, you know, how to, you know, humanize the transgender experience and um, how to increase the number of LGBTQ plus pastors uh, and ministers in a church. Well, I'm sorry, but a world that grows in its homosexuality is not going in, in a direction that's blessed by God. Yeah. But it's an interesting issue, right? So, I mean, Al Mohler wrote a very useful world opinion piece that said, um, used a metaphor, the, the train is leaving the station. And it, and it raises a good question. So if you're in a car that's left the station a little, just, you know, a little bit behind Stanley and Sprinkle, what do you do? I mean, if you're, I was raised in Chicago, I've gotten on all kinds of trains I shouldn't have gotten on. And, and mm -hmm. you know what you do? You don't sit on the train and try to have logical conversations with other people on the train in the hope of going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. The minute you discover you're on a train that has left the station going to the wrong stop, you get off. Yeah. You get off. Um, and so, um, so yes, I mean, I think it was a shocking, we were all just shocked because a marriage is different from a birthday party. If this were, if we were talking about a birthday party or Thanksgiving, I'd be all in it. Of course, of course, invite people to Thanksgiving. Um, and of course, invite people to a, to a birthday party. And you know what? We celebrate the image bearing of everyone. Buy a gift. Don't go to a birthday party like a jerk. Buy a nice gift. Yeah. But, um, but not a wedding, no. because that, that makes it harder for people to repent of the sin they need to repent of. And it mm -hmm. actually seems to lead them to hell with your blessing, yeah. which is a, a, a devastating thing. And you know what? It's hard enough for parents. I mean, I think, I think advice like that just cuts to the heart of parents and then add to the fact that Matthew Vines you know, tweets out a way to go, Alistair, you know, like Ugh. that's part of how, you know, you're in the, you're definitely on the yes. train needing to yeah. get off. You know? Yeah. 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 Of the company. That's so, right. And so. in, in the spirit of repentance and the repentance conversation, I want to follow in your lead here, Rosaria, because something came to my mind as we were talking back in 2017. So this was just, I mean, maybe within months of me just starting my blog, I just barely had a, a public platform at all. And I was coming out of my faith crisis and I had read Preston Sprinkle's People to be Loved and I totally fell for it I, okay. because I was looking for the bottom line. Okay. He affirms biblical marriage and yet the rest of it sounds so loving. This is a good okay. approach. And I went on the Bad Christian Podcast, which was a progressive Christian podcast. It was like the first sort of not debate so much, but um, maybe a little bit hostile potentially conversation that I'd ever done publicly. And I said on that podcast, I like the Preston Sprinkle approach to this topic. Because of course, they're, they're going to go, they're going to ask me about it. And um, I just want to publicly say, I repent of that. I yeah. fell for something that I did not see the end game. I did not realize where that was all heading. And yeah. so if anybody has listened to that, I mean, I know it was so long ago, but most people probably don't even know about it. But if, if you listened to that and you heard me say that, I want you to hear me say today that I repent of that. That was yeah. sinful, unintentional probably, but it was sinful language that I used. I fell for it. I um, And so, yeah, I just wanted to say that and 
just so there's no confusion about that now. Right. Um, so, right. yeah, no, yeah. That's good. Okay, Rosaria, I want to talk about one of the things I really wanted to get to, and I think we'll have time to maybe cover this one more topic. Um, it just came out of left field for me because I had never thought of it this way, and I love it. I think you're, you've nailed it right on the head, and that's that transgenderism is the sin of envy. Will you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, transgenderism, um, you know, it is, it is truly an invention of an evil age. I heard, um, I heard actually Katie McCoy, I was so shocked to hear this from her, but she said on a podcast that we've always had transgenderism, you know, and then she gave examples from ancient, from the ancient world. And that's not transgenderism. I, I mean, that yeah. that's cross-dressing. That's, that's, right. you know, that that's all kinds of things. But, but transgenderism is an invention of a modern age. It depends upon the feminist idea that there is a actual immutable difference between biological sex and quote unquote cultural gender and what transgenderism does, you know, feminism did that so that it could make the case that, well, I might be biologically female, able to nurture and all that kind of stuff, but I'm really called to be an astronaut, not a good place to breastfeed. So don't call me to that one. But um, what transgenderism did was just say, well, we don't need, we don't need biological sex at all all we have is cultural gender. And so, so we need to see the line of the kind of modernist thinking that goes underneath, underneath this. But, but yes, what ultimately um, transgenderism is, both as a medical issue, so there's, there is a dysphoric category, and that is the, the medical analog to that is anorexia. So mm-hmm. a, a, a young woman with anorexia would have a similarly dysphoric relationship to her body. Um, or the social contagion side that you see predominantly coming out of government schools in the United States right now and predominantly affecting young girls. And the reason is because all government schools have a anti-bullying policy that says in order to not be a bully, you have to be an ally. Mm-hmm. And for most young girls, the, the, um, the empathetic relationship between being an ally and being the thing to which you are protecting is very, very close. So, um, so what both of those, uh, both the medical and the cultural side of transgenderism, which are modern inventions, modern illnesses, if you will, both of them rely on this idea that envy is yours for the taking. That if you desire it, it must be good. And, you know, especially what you're seeing is you listen to detransitioners and, um, and those are very painful stories. I was just listening to the um, uh, uh, Generation Indoctrination podcast with Brandon Showalter, and he uh, featured a young uh, man who is a detransitioner who is going in to be castrated. And he says to the doctor, I don't think I want to do this. And the doctor says, no, 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 you want to do this. And it's only going to get better once you go all the way through. Wow. Okay. And, you know, you see big pharma all over that. I have a sure. medical patient for life. But, you know, it is a it is a tragic thing. And so envy unleashed is rottenness to the bones. It's worse than wrath. Mm. And the only response, the only way that you can deal with envy is to repent of it and to grow in contentment for what God has given you. And so I talk a lot in the book about um, Jeremiah Burroughs book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. But um, I should tell you that you know, my husband preached three sermons on transgenderism, and one of the things he said on the sin of transgenderism, and one of the things he said 
is that it's almost like Dr. Frankenstein met Dr. Mangala and they went into private practice together. And so, and I think that's, mm. that's really true. And, and so Christians of all people, you know, of all people ought not be seduced by the sin of envy. Uh, you know, and I think what sometimes happens is what you're seeing there is a fear of man, especially for parents fearing their adult children or their not adult children, their, their, their younger children and their children's feelings. Well, um, it's very serious. And, you know, and the good news is, of course, we're Christians, so we don't throw anybody away. We don't say, well, right. you know. The, 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 the mutilation of the body is the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Um, you right. know, and, you know, we serve a God who will, who will glorify the body of those who repent and believe, which means that that young man who was talking to his physician, um, pleading for help and he didn't get it, he will get help from Jesus. He is a Christian. Yeah. And in the New Jerusalem, he will be the man he was meant to be. But Christians ought not send anyone into this kind of path of horror. Um, And yeah, envy is a sin. Yeah. I I just, I thought that was such an amazing connection that just hadn't occurred to me before, but it it makes perfect sense. And one of the things I really do love about this book, I want to encourage anybody who gets this book to read the appendix, uh, the appendices at the end, because there's a lot of really good practical advice in there. And I'd love to maybe end our conversation with some of that, because you lay out some really specific scenarios, like say you have a grown child who's in a homosexual relationship. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate Thanksgiving? Different things like this. But let me just ask you about a couple of, uh, just give us your wisdom. You know, I'm sure there are people listening to us who have kids who are confused. And there's a parent somewhere listening to this uh, who is wanting to know from Rosaria Butterfield, how do I respond if my kid comes out to me, says, mom, dad, I'm gay. Right, right. Well, first of all, is that, you know, how old is your child? Is the child living at home? There are a lot of questions around that. But, um, but the first thing you want to do is receive warmly and openly whatever your child is saying. You want to, you want to listen well. You don't want to, you don't want to talk too much. You want to hear what's going on. Um, and that is true for the homosexual issue, as is the trans issue. And there's an extremely good book um, by, a pastor in the PCA named Sam um, Andriotis, and the book is called Talking to Your Teen About Trans. I think, this, I think the subtitle might be Across the Kitchen Table. And he really lays out very helpfully how, as a parent, you are going to receive information. And so the paradigm that I think you want to use is acceptance versus approval. Whatever your child is saying, you know, hear it, accept it. Don't argue with the child. Don't don't tell that person that's not how that person feels. But at the same time, we don't feelings don't actually run our lives. Yeah. So get as much information as you can. And that's part of why you want to stay very, very connected to your child. Um, obviously, if you're blackmailed, you can't. You have no you have no uh, you know, choice over that. But if you're not blackmailed, stay connected. Um and a very good model for that. We have so many good models. Uh, Christopher Yuan's family is a wonderful model for that. Um, Laura Perry Smalls' family is a wonderful model for that. And so, um, you know, take heart. But, but I would say I, no parent wants to hear bad news. Um, and, but, and, it's, and, it, and it feels like a real, you know, 
punch in the gut, but you need to just receive it. And this is also a moment where you need to realize that it's almost like you've become a kind of accidental missionary. You know, you are now a missionary on a field and you don't know the language and they didn't even give you a bottle of water before the train, you know, the plane dropped down <laughs> the ground, but you're just, you know, you need to be, and you need to be in a strong place in the Lord. You yeah. need to be in a strong church with, with people who are praying for you, not ashamed. And I would say the other thing is if you have things to repent of and what parent doesn't go ahead and do that, mm-hmm. but please don't think this is your fault. Yeah. Okay. I mean, just that is Satan wants you to just be all, yeah all torn up about all the terrible things you did. And you know what? It's not. I I always tell parents, you're just not that powerful. You're not, you're not the Holy Spirit. And yeah, you just don't have that much power. So give yourself a little bit of a break there because there are so many parents struggling with so much guilt of things they could have done, things they shouldn't have done. People grow up all kinds of ways. They can have somebody grow up in a really strong, wonderful Christian home, and they turn out to be a a complete criminal. And then somebody could grow up in a terrible, you know, addict home, and they become the next Billy Graham. Who knows, you know? (laughs) Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. But don't add any sin to it. Yes. So a good way to to not add any sin to the current crisis is don't say so much. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I want to I want to ask you one more question because this is one that I've personally been pondering a lot and I'm not sure I have a definitive answer for it. And I've asked a couple other people maybe even on the podcast this question, but it was also asked to me in a Q&A recently. So I think it's something that's buzzing around in people's heads. And so I know that part of what we talk about when we talk about sex, uh, you know, and I'm talking about um, I hate even using the word gender because that's kind of conceding language a little bit. So I'm yeah. you know, that our sexed we are sexed people. Um, the right. sexes. Um, obviously, the way you dress does not determine your sex. The way you wear your hair does not determine your sex. That's something I've told my kids that actually brought them quite a bit of relief, right? So, right. you know, just because my daughter doesn't love pink, I told her, that's okay. You don't have to like pink. You're a girl because your body determines what that is. But the question I have, and this is what somebody phrased to me, because they had uh, a young person in their life who bought, th- who understood that, but also wanted, it was a female who wanted to dress very masculine and almost almost um, like wear her hair very masculine. And so what? what's the line there? Or maybe that's the wrong question. What is, how do we talk about the difference between our sex and maybe our innate femininity and how that plays out? And where does that become a sin or can that become a sin? Help me understand this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, recently um, a friend brought to me his um, family member who was 15 years old and was starting to profile as a man, as transgender, and 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 the, and found out, you know, at school there was, you know, pronouns and you know this kind of thing. And I had a, a long talk with this young girl, and I just asked her, "Why do you dress the way you do?" Okay, and and she said, "Rosaria, I don't want boys looking at me." So mm-hmm. she's a young girl. I don't like the way boys look at me. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like that yeah. is. That's almost an expression of modesty, mm-hmm. but there's a particular way that the culture kind of grabs it and now makes you, you know, kind of pushes you in this other direction. So what I would say to parents is be mindful of whatever kind of cultural highway your children are on. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I homeschool, which means my kids mostly have spent, they spend most of their life, I think, in pajamas. I really do. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I really do. You know, like once a week we go to co-op and, you know. I'm comforted to know that. It's not just yes. us. Yeah, yeah. Like once a week we go to co-op, once a week we go to church and there's like showering and then, yeah, you know, like walking yeah, right. off of the, of the blankies. Even as teenagers, they'd like drag their blankies into the homeschool room, you yeah. know. Um, but, but there's a particular way that government school is really, really dangerous right now for young girls because what that girl said to me is perfectly fine. I don't want yeah. boys looking at you either like that. Right. But if the only way that you can protect your body from a leering boy is to become a boy, well, that's a cultural issue. And mm-hmm. so, and that is why I've been very firm about parents not thinking that public schools are your friends. Mm. Not until we can get the Biden, the 2021 Biden put a, you know, the redefinition of Title IX which placed this anti-bullying legislation in all public schools, and it is a tsunami problem for girls. Mm. It is a tsunami mm-hmm. problem for girls. So, so that's what I would say. Find out what the issue is, where the cultural pressure is, and then protect your daughters. Mm-hmm. You know, protect them. Put, put a wall between them and leering boys so that they don't have to become that which is which is evil in order to protect yeah. themselves from evil. That's good. Any parting words for us, Rosaria? Oh, be deeply in the word and don't feel like you have to apologize. You know, you you're, you have maybe have, you know, you're in a Bible study, you read something, it's a little off. You don't need to have a thorough, you know, scrutiny of something. If it's a little off, it's a little off, move on. Um, and don't hesitate to uh, to you know ask your pastor, ask your your churches. And I would say this: if your church doesn't know what time it is, go find one that does. Yeah. Because that one of the real challenges people are having is there's a particular way that um, Christian ease can leave you in a place where you think everything's fine and it's not. Yeah. And so you need to be in a place where people are actually saying things like, I don't think public schools are safe right now. I'm not saying they weren't safe 50 years ago when grandpa was the, pre- you know, the principal. Mm. And I'm not saying they won't be safe in five years. I'm just saying right now, I don't think they're safe. Um, you know, be willing to take a strong stand, be really willing to suffer for the gospel. If your son or daughter has a transgender swim coach, I'm sorry, your child needs to have a new enrichment activity. There is something really, you know, there are going to be times, and and I'm not saying just leave, tell people why you're leaving, explain, share the gospel. When, When I go to school board meetings, which I go regularly, I don't have a child in the public schools. They can't have my kids, but I do pay taxes. Um, Mm -hmm. I invite people over for dinner. I invite the dad who castrated his 14-year-old son for dinner. I invite... And you know what? Sometimes these people come. They, we, that's a home and hospitality is a great place to share the gospel. It might be the only safe place right now. Yeah. So, um, but be in a strong place. Don't be in a weak place. Don't be in a weak church. And if you are sentimental about that, you're going to end up compromising something. Mm. So yeah. this is war. It is as yeah. hard as you think it is. You are fighting for the souls of your children. Um, and you know, if you don't like the metaphor of war, I'm sorry, but it's a pretty biblical one. Read we the are Bible. The militant yeah. Until we are the church triumphant, and you know what? There will be different um, 
you know, we'll have diff- different, different, the, the war will, will, will take place on different theaters at different front lines, but um, don't be afraid to stand strongly and firmly on the word of God. It is the only answer for uh, what ails us today. Very good. Well, I want to thank my guest, Rosaria Butterfield. Pick up her book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, one of my top five picks from last year. Such an important and timely book. Also, if you are watching on YouTube, click subscribe, and there's a bell icon there that you can click to be notified every time we release a new video. Also helps if you leave good reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and sharing this out on social media, liking it if you see it go by, putting comments underneath it, all of that helps helps us beat that algorithm that is so often uh, shadow banning and, and kind of pushing things to the side. So we want as many people as possible to get to hear this. So please share this with your pastors or anybody you think might be helped by this information. And let's remember that as we pursue Christ to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time.